When someone says something is set in stone, they're talking about something immovable, foundational. It's something that's permanent. As Christians, we understand the metaphor concerning the teachings of Christ, like the Lord's Supper that we just gathered around the table for. It's foundational because Christ says it's foundational, right? It's a memorial and a sacrifice and a reminder of the purpose of being a Christian. We're here because of what Christ did. And he asked us to do it every first day of the week. Now, is it the table that is foundational or special? Is it the cups, the containers? What makes it set in stone? Jesus made it set in stone. And that's the lesson today. Set in stone. Choose wisely. Don't trip God's people. So the first point is choose wisely. What helps people make good choices? Well, one thing is that you made the decision to make good choices. 1 Peter chapter 2, 1 through 4. So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants long for pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted the Lord, that the Lord is good. As you come to him, a living stone. So as Christians, we've done that. We've made good choices. Putting away those things that God says are not good. We left worldliness and have been born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. This decision, this initial decision, has caused us to become exiles, to become outcasts in a world that doesn't want to listen to the teachings of Christ. And as Christians, we strive to live holy lives because God declared that we should live a life of holiness before Him. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 16. This decision on our part is done purposefully. It's not an accident. We decided to do it. Now, I put away the dishes in the cupboard. Well, that's a decision I make. I decided to do that. I parked the car in the garage. These things don't happen by accident. They are purposeful behaviors. Now, whether you did it according to how your spouse wants it done, that might be another story. But you get my point. So as Christians, we what? Put away in the cupboard, our spiritual cupboard what? Malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander. Malice is what? Hatred, spite, wickedness. Well, that doesn't look good for any Christian, does it? So we put it away. What about deceit, dishonesty, or trickery? Hypocrisy? Oh, we don't want to have that. We put it away. Insincerity, falseness. What about envy? That jealousy and bitterness. What about slander? That insult, that smear attitude. 
But unlike your car or dishes, our goal is to put those things away forever. Forever. Now, choosing to put away worldliness and implanting the word of the Lord, we are in the process of making more wise decisions once we've done that. 1 Peter chapter 1, 22-25, that by pure spiritual milk you may what? Grow up into salvation. We've decided to put things away. We've decided to become holy. We've decided to live the life of Christ. We've decided initially to be born again. But God didn't say, all right, once you've decided, unpack it. No, let's get away, get away more stuff, put more stuff away and pack it away that God doesn't want. Let's get rid of it. Let's have a garage sale or take it down to the, the dumpster where it belongs. One man shared with me a drinking story while he was in the military. That never happens in the military, does it, Lee? Drinking stories? Nah. He's away from home, he's out of the house, he's out with the guys. Now, he wasn't a Christian, so to me, this makes the story a little bit more interesting. How did you like your alcohol for the first time, I asked. He said, I didn't. <laughs> I only did it because everybody else thought it was a good idea. But I became so drunk, I hated the experience and never did it again. He said, I didn't like losing control of my behavior. Isn't that what alcohol does? It helps take away the inhibitions, helps loosen the tongue. Uh, we have a prison guard here, we have a judge here. Uh, ask them st the statistics on how many people in prison have a background of alcoholism or abuse. I think it's pretty, pretty, pretty high. And I'm not saying alcohol in and of itself is bad. I'm not saying Christians shouldn't drink. But there is something that connects it to worldliness that God wants us to put away and don't bring it out again. Isn't that what Paul is teaching here? You as a Christian don't need to lose control of your overall behavior. Put away the worldliness that once consumed you. Strengthen your fortitude against going against the world, against the worldliness of this world. And refuse to be intoxicated by worldliness. Isn't that what worldliness is? An intoxication? A way to loosen our mouth against things of God? There's a story of a Rather, let's live our life of control and be nourished by God's goodness. There's a story of a stonemason I liked. It's an old story. Maybe some of you have heard it. A medieval traveler was walking through the countryside, and he comes across a huge construction zone, a huge construction zone. Near his path, he sees three stonemasons hard at work with their hammers and chisels. What are you doing? asked the traveler. Breaking stones, grunts the first. Making a wall, says the second. Building a cathedral proclaims the third. You see, is there a difference in the work of the three men? Maybe not. But is there any difference in their hearts? Certainly. 
God is our spiritual stonemason. He knows the right rock to choose for his project. He didn't choose the poorest quality. He didn't have a bad attitude about it and just saying, I'm crushing rocks. He says, I'm building something important. He didn't choose the poorest quality of the smallest material. He chose himself, Jesus. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 4. So, don't trip. Don't trip. I was at school. Tripping can be embarrassing, can't it? We've all done it. You're all laughing. I can see that. I was at school last week or so, watching the kids, just observing the goings-on. Within moments, I saw something that made me laugh. Two separate kids walked in two different open doors <laughs> about a minute interval from each other. And they spun around, they looked around to make sure nobody saw them because guess what? They were embarrassed. But I saw them and I thought it was funny. No one was hurt, by the way. I wasn't laughing at being hurt. Why was this so funny? Because I've been there. It's funny. I've tripped. I've spilt things. Have you ever walked on a cobblestone road? <laughs> Have you ever walked on brick pavement street? Or in Biff? You may have took the frontal. It is so unintentional. And if you can't laugh at your circumstance and yourself, uh, and if you can laugh at that, it's funny and embarrassing at the same time. But for those who look at Jesus Christ, who is the cornerstone, trip on him and aren't embarrassed of themselves, they're not embarrassed enough. If you trip over Jesus for who he is as the greatest cornerstone ever and don't find it embarrassing or awkward, then you're like these people Peter talked about. They looked at it and said, it is not good enough. It's just in my way. They spit on it. They curse it. I will not use this cornerstone as my life toward God. It's ugly. Men didn't choose it. God chose and said it's precious and awesome. But those who don't find falling over Jesus Christ embarrassing and learn from that experience, that rock is going to crush them because there is no greater stone out there than the living stone of Jesus Christ. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 6 through 8. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. There's no embarrassment there. 
So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. It's offensive. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. But the spiritual, but the greatest spiritual stonemason ever made it awesome. It is both a chosen material from all other others in the quarry. There is none like it. And it is most precious. God, as Jesus, is the foundational cornerstone that will forever stand. I don't know about you, but I want to be a part of that building in which Jesus is the cornerstone. And those of us who are exiles in this world, who are outcasts in this world, this world is not our home. Those who have been born again into the imperishable hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Listen to this. You yourselves like living stones are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 5. Does that sound like makings of a volunteer or a victim? Somebody who's ready to go or somebody who's dismayed because I have to live for Christ. There's a difference between being obedient and disobedient. The disobedient don't like God's cornerstone. They trip on it without shame because they don't seek its foundational constructs. They don't want to be a part of his holy priesthood, his spiritual house, or offer spiritual sacrifices. They choose to be disobedient to God's ways. That is their choice. But the obedient, guess what? They trip on the cornerstone as well, but rather than letting the cornerstone destroy them because they refuse to accept, they accept for what it is and who it is. And they believe with obedience with a wholehearted amount of respect. Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. 1 Peter 2.6 They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 8 And all who choose the path of disobedience will find Christ and his truth offensive. Therefore, in this world, we are exiles. We are outcasts. And Peter also uses the word sojourners. We're just passing through. God's people are chosen, royal, and holy. I am looking at royal people who are in Christ. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. But you are a chosen race a royal priesthood, a holy nation of people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. What makes you a chosen race? Is it your skin color? Your height? Your hair? 
It is because you are born again into the family of Christ that makes you a chosen race. You are a new family. What makes us a royal priesthood? It is our physical birth or our lineage. Is that it? Like the priests of the Old Testament? It is because we were made exiles and outcasts in, of this world. Our high priest is Jesus and only him. As Hebrews says, Hebrews 7, 23 to 25, the former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. But he, talking about Christ, holds his priesthood, that is his high priesthood, permanently because he continues forever. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. What makes us a holy nation? Is it America? We have decided to take up God's offer, leave this world and become his people. It is a gift that we choose to accept. And we put away in the cupboard or the dumpster everything this world desires us to have. And that makes us outcasts. But it also makes us a holy nation, a chosen people, a people for God's own possession, stone gatherers. So as God's people, we are chosen, royal, and holy, but we've been given a task. We just don't sit in the throne area eating all day long that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are a people. Once you have not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. 1 Peter 2, 9 through 10. What is our task? Proclamation of Jesus Christ risen from the dead teaching people about the opportunity for them to be born again, to gather other stones who would make up his, this spiritual house of God, 1 Peter 2, 5. Do, did we choose the cornerstone? No. Should we choose the other stones to pick up? No. We should just start picking up other stones and let God insert them into his spiritual house if they choose to follow him. Our job is not to say that stone is worthy. That's not. That's good. No, we pick up the stones and let God mold them in. God knows how to fit people who come to him because we are honorable people. We exiles are honorable people. God's people are honorable people. We strive to follow God's morals for us. We are a people who submit to his authority as head of the body of Christ. Guess what? People won't like that, and they will make fun of it. You go in our sheltered home, the kids growing up, well, you got moms and dads who are, 
That's right. You get out there, you're going to find a lot of other people that aren't the same way. You have to understand what makes you an exile. Sojourners. And why that's a good thing. 1 Peter chapter 2, 11 through 12, and the lesson will be yours. If I can read. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh. Sounds like putting things away in the cupboard. Which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. The lesson is set in stone. Choose wisely. And choose God's pick for our cornerstone. That would be a very wise decision. Don't trip like those in the past did and choose man's ways. God's people are chosen, royal, and holy. We are stone gatherers who are honorable people of God. If there's any reason that you might have to come forward to share a prayer request or anything else, this is a great time that we give, the congregation gives, the elder gives for people to do that. Please come forward now as together we stand and sing. What can